Now we've got some builders in here, but when I use the word foundation, what is called to mind? What's foundation? And not everybody at once. Cornerstone. Cornerstone? Okay, what's a cornerstone? Does anyone know? You, the architect. What's a cornerstone? The cornerstone is the first stone that's laid that sets the parameters or, or sets the coordinates for everything else that goes up in the building. It's got to be put in exactly the right place so that everything is built from there, is in the right place, and, and is done the right way. Excellent. So it's used for leveling and for location. Excellent. Okay. So we have foundations of the faith. The title explains it all. What we're trying to do in this class over the next several weeks is we're laying foundations. You know, some of us with our Christianity, we sort of started from the top and built down. And there can be something to that. But the reality is you, at the end of the day, you've got to go check the foundation. You know, I remember I, I bought a house uh, over a, kind of behind the hospital. And uh, lo and behold, there were some cracks in the brick. Saying, well, what's, what's up with the cracks? He's like, those are settling cracks. Your foundation is settling. But it should be okay if the house was built right. But if the house wasn't built right, you're going to have problems, aren't you? So whatever we see above the ground is influenced by what's below the ground. And so this is going to be a foundation check, if you will. Another title for this uh, series, this class might be called Essentials of the Faith. So a lot of things that we could discuss, but we're going to be dealing with a lot of cornerstones, real kind of large bricks in terms of looking at the foundation of the faith. And if we get those solidified, if we get some right truth in there, that's bound to affect the way we live the rest of our life. Make sense? Now, the way um, I run a full contact Bible study, that means it's back and forth. Okay, I'm not just want to teach, I want to hear from you as well. And we have a packet here. I encourage you to put your name on it. We're going to be going back to this packet again and again and again. But today we're going to be talking about the existence of God. We have here that there's only one true creator God who rules over all things. Does God exist? Critical question. That's going to steer what we think about life and how we live. So let's actually open up here. And you see um, the Westminster Catechism. We're going to be looking at question 1, 4, and 6. Westminster Catechism is a summation of teaching about the scriptures. Uh, very good tool. Catechesis means teaching tool. And, and what we're trying to do is teach and learn and grow by looking at these foundation blocks. So question number four, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him together. We're going to have some core assumptions in this class. There are three that we're going to talk about right here. Core assumptions. And the opportunity, we're going to look at these assumptions, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take the opportunity to see, are these assumptions right or not? As we settle the stone, do we, did we lay the stone correctly? And so these are some big stone assumptions right at the beginning of the class. The first is, the most important issue of our life is having a right relationship with God. When it boils down to it, the most important thing in our entire life is having a right relationship with God. Now think about this. If this whole thing is about a relationship with God. What are some critical questions you have to have answered when you're looking to go into a relationship with someone? Think you're married. You know, pull things out of that. What are some critical things you need to understand what it means to have a right relationship with someone? 
And not all at once. Honesty? Honesty? How so? So explain. Okay, you have to trust that what each person says is going to be true, right? Okay? Think of it. If a person comes and they say, look, I'm not married, but they are married, okay, you got a big problem there, don't you? Or, I enjoy uh, sports, and then you go and you take them out to sports, and they say, I hate sports. Okay, right away you start going, well, something's wrong here because I hear one thing and yet I experience a different thing. There has to be honesty in that relationship. What else? Necessary for a right relationship. Communication. Communication. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, spending time together. You have to be able to interact. If, if, a, if relationship is what this thing is all about, that presupposes there has to be some sort of communication. Communication from one end to one, from one end to the other. Excellent. What else? I think an understanding of uh, their beliefs, an understanding of your partner's beliefs. Okay. Okay. Who are they? What do they believe? What makes up who they are? If one of the things necessary in a relationship is both means have to be personal, don't they? We have, I have certain characteristics and qualities to me that define me as who I am. If I'm to have a relationship with God, then God also must have certain characteristics and qualities. God is not monolithic. God is personal. And because of that, He can be known. One final thing I'll add is we need to understand the nature of the relationship. I have a relationship with my wife. I have a relationship with my son. They're both very intimate. They're both very personal, but they're different, aren't they? We are a relationship of equals, and my son is a relationship of a subordinate (laughs) who will one day come and be my equal. So we need to understand what's the relationship, the nature of the relationship that God is calling us to. And we see it right here, don't we? That the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Built into this relationship is that nature. And if we seek to subvert that relationship, we're going to have problems. Let's look at the second assumption that we have. Evil exists in the world. Evil exists in the world. That may seem, of course, that's obvious. But you know, for a lot of people, a lot of people don't believe evil exists in the world. Let me ask you, what are the consequences if you assume that the world does not have any evil in it? What do you think? If you assume there's no evil, how are you going to look at the world differently? Well, first of all, I'm not evil. If there's no evil in the world, then how can I be evil? Can't be wrong. Can't be wrong. Life is great. Mm-hmm. Whatever I do is okay. And, con- and additionally, whatever anybody else does is okay, right? Nobody can say somebody's wrong or right. Everything is so. So we have here two types of evil. One, natural evil refers to the general suffering that makes life hard. Okay, tornado, cyclone, you know, hurricane wipes out a town. Okay, are those natural evil events? The answer is yes. They were not meant to exist. Does God allow evil to occur? Yes, He does. But God is not the author of evil. We're going to talk more about evil and where it came from later. But a world that does not suppose that there is evil, you get into all sorts of problems. Additionally, there's moral evil. Moral evil refers to the suffering caused by other humans. 
Moral evil of all kinds is the result of choices that are motivated by human interest. Okay, why is the world this way? Why is there evil in the world? That's one of the things that we're going to spend time talking about in this class. Number three, Christianity is relevant to modern life. The word there, relevant to modern life. Christianity has the answers that make sense for our daily life experiences. I think it says here, it offers a perspective perspective on human purpose in the face of hard realities that can bring order, peace, hope, life, and joy to any person. If we don't believe that Christianity has any relevance to what we're doing, we'll treat it like a hobby. It's something we do, we come on Sunday, it's a panacea, it helps us feel better, but then we walk out the door and life starts, and guess what? Christianity doesn't have any answers for what I'm dealing with with my life. The core, one of the core assumptions of this class is that Christianity is relevant to modern life. Now I'm going to challenge you to learn a verse. We're only going to learn one verse throughout this entire class series. It's John 17.3. Very important verse. Now this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Key verse. Okay, let's talk about what we will study in this class. By the way, does anyone need a pen? Does anyone have extra pens to give to people? Extra pen. Anyone else have another extra pen anywhere? Good to write this stuff down if you, if you can. Okay, let's uh, take a look here at some, found, uh, some truths. Okay, the first truth we're going to look at is what we call foundational truths. Okay, foundational truths provide us with the spiritual starting point of a truly Christian life. We talked about foundations. Um, you know, in, in a house, the foundation is critical. But once you start to build, you can start to get some options, can't you? You can, you can put a different door on, and that's not going to bring the house down, is there? And there are different questions and disputes and things in the body of Christ on what we would call secondary, even tertiary issues. But foundational truths, without these foundational truths, you don't have Christianity. You can call it whatever you want, but it's not Christianity. Okay, the second one is universal truths. This is B, universal truths. We will study these. These are truths that Christians throughout all history have agreed upon. These are the core beliefs, confessions that we have, such as the foundational universal question, is there one God or are there many gods? As opposed to a debated question, okay, who should be allowed to receive communion? Not a foundational question, an important one should take a look at, but not a foundational question. Additionally, there are some questions that can't even necessarily be answered that reside in the freedom is given to the believer themselves, such as, should a Christian join the military or not? Okay, there's some Christians that say that's a question of conscience. I shouldn't join the military. And they, they have a pretty good argument that they could make that argument, not necessarily that it's a foundational truth uh, based on uh, the scriptures. Then finally, absolute truths. This is point C. Absolute truths do not allow for contradictory claims to also be true. Can you guys think of absolute truths that are issues, if you will, that Christianity runs up against? 
And even think about Christianity running up against another absolute truth. There are many ways to one God. Absolutely, there are many people, you know, if you go on a university campus, many people would say, there are many ways to one God. Okay, now, what's the problem with that statement? They're in conflict with each other, so how can they be true? It simply can't be true. Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Christianity is either right or Christianity is wrong. But one thing it cannot be is right with everything else. See, there's an interesting uh, thing going on in the world today, and basically it's that there is no truth. Whatever is right for you is true, and whatever is right for me is true. Well, if that's so, that would mean there's no such thing as truth. What's wrong with that statement, that there's no such thing as truth? It's an absolute statement. It's a true statement. It's, there's no such thing as truth, and that's the truth. You can't make that statement, can you? It's what's called a self-effacing argument. It can't hold its own weight. That would be similar to saying, there's no way that I can get hurt ever. Well, why don't you go to the top of the third of three-story building and step off of it and see if that is true or not? There are consequences for the beliefs that we have. So there are absolute truths. And we're going to examine those. And one of the things that we, I will posit to you is Christianity is the most credible system of thought that explains the world we live in than any system of thought that is out there today. In other words, Christianity is not blind faith. It's a reasoned faith. It was C.S. Lewis that said, I believe in God like I believe in the sun. Not so much that I can, just because I can see the sun, but rather by the sun, I can see everything else. In other words, Christianity helps us to put on lenses by which we can see the world around us and understand why things are as they are. Where other glasses, philosophical systems, we look through them and we either see chaos or we see the result of a world that nobody wants to live in. We'll give you a classic point. I think I did this uh, this weekend. Okay. Atheism, very quickly, says that there is no God. Therefore, we are a cosmic accident. We happen to be the lucky ones. Some chemicals came together and uh, some mutation and some radiation. And lo and behold, humanity came out of the primordial uh, swamp grew and developed, and you have man as he is today. But at the end of the day, there is no force that has given any sort of a meaning or purpose or life to man. Life is an accident. Man came from nothing. When I say man, I mean mankind, man and woman. As a result, at the end of life, meaning we fight, we live, we live as long as we can, but sooner or later our body succumbs to the elements, we go back into the ground and we go to nothing. Now, I could give this equation to my eight-year-old son and he would understand that if we come from nothing and we go to nothing, then our life in between can be characterized by what? Nothing. nothing. Meaningless, purposelessness, non-existence. Life is simply preference. In fact, the only question we need to ask is whether to commit suicide or not. Because it really doesn't matter in the end, does it? 
So these are what we're talking about. Foundational truths that lead to decisions about what life is. Okay. Let's move on into... Uh, oh, okay, Christianity is a real relationship with a personal God who has revealed Himself and His will through the Bible, through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at this. Okay, real relationship. This is, this is packed with meaning here. Real relationship, a person-to-person relationship analogous to human relationships of the greater to a lesser person. Can you go back to A and just fill in the Thank you. Christianity, what is Christianity? Christianity is not a group of rules and behavior. It is not simply about doing religious things. A person can be religious about many things, can't they? You can be religious about your diet. You can be religious about exercise. You can be religious about flossing, frankly. But Christianity is not a group about rules and behavior. It's not about doing even good things. Many people do good things. And many more just to try, avoid doing really bad things. But that isn't the true test of Christianity. Whether I've done good things or whether I've done bad things. Is our conduct important? Yes, we're going to get to that. But that is not what Christianity is all about. Nor is Christianity a mere decision about what religion or philosophy I will choose. Well, I'm a Buddhist. What are you? Well, I'm a Muslim. Okay. What's true for you is what's true for you. No, it's more than that. Because Christianity is a real relationship with a personal God. We've talked a little bit about a real relationship, what goes on between them. I want to talk about this word personal again. Talked about it some. But we see that God is personal. He has intelligence. He has a will. He has character. He has emotions. He is a personal God. He can be known as personally as I know you and you know me. Finally, this third word, that he has revealed himself and his will through the Bible and through his Son, Jesus Christ. God makes himself known to us. He introduces us to himself. We would never be able to understand who God was if he didn't reveal himself to us, right? Because we wouldn't know him. So, summary, Christianity is all about God's love for you, reaching out to you through His Son, Jesus Christ. How do we reach God? Religion... Oh boy, that's going to cause me problems. Good. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Religion... God... Man's attempt to reach God through the actions that he gives. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man through his particular actions. Very different. All other religions place a high priority on human effort and initiative. So Christianity is unique in that it begins with God taking the initiative, not us. Okay, let's look at section four. How can we know what God is like? So if God exists, how can we know what he's like? The usual human tendency 
is to define God according to our own desires and fears rather than to discover, discover Him. Instead of really investigating, we make up beliefs about God that suit us. I like this statement. It's been said that God created man in His own image and the first thing man did was try to return the favor. <laughs> if we were going to create a God, what would He look like? You know, I love Mr. Potato Head. You know? Mr. Potato Head, you're putting together Mr. Potato Head. If we were going to put together a God... Now, it's not fair because you've seen the revelation of God. You just heard a sermon on God. But think of the world. Okay, If the world was going to come together by committee, they didn't know the Bible, they were going to put together God, what would this God look like? Help me draw him out a little bit. What would he look like? Powerful. Okay? Be powerful. How powerful? Super powerful. More powerful than man? Yes. Why? Because he's God. Okay. Okay, so he'd be super powerful. Okay, what else? Yes. Meets our needs. He meets our needs. Okay. Meets our needs. A very powerful butler, perhaps. (laughs) Jeeves, I need. (laughs) Okay, okay, genie. Okay, great. What else? What else? Wise. Okay, he would be wise. Okay, have to know more than us? Hope so. Yeah, okay, what else? Immediately responsive. Immediately responsive. Okay, immediately, we keep getting back to the super butler, okay? Immediately responsive. What else? Problem solver. Excellent. We got a great God we're putting together, by the way. I like this God. Okay, what else? You think of anything else? Most caring. He would be what? The most caring. He would be caring. He would care for us. When we're lonely, when we're afraid, when we're sad, he would come and he would take care of us. Absolutely. This one is not good, but he'd give us what we, what we want. Give us what we want. It's not good, but you know, we uh-huh. trade him. This is what I want, so please give it to me. Okay. Give us what we want. At the human level. Excellent. Okay. What else? Anything? Any? Consequences for our he would be responsible, right? He'd clean up our messes. He'd clean up our messes. He'd, 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 uh, he'd be responsible. Well, it's not my fault. It's his fault. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I, I blew it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. He would be responsible. Anything else? He'd approve of everything we want to do. Approve of everything we want to do. Absolutely. This is fantastic. <laughs> absolute, absolute truths cannot, con- you know, must uh, cannot contradict. He would destroy our enemies. Excellent. He would go out and he would fight for us, wouldn't he? The only problem is he'd fight for each one of us, wouldn't he? We don't. It'd be a constant battle, wouldn't? Fight for He would give us discipline. Would the world choose such a god? Ah, oh, come on, Daiichi, you're, you're sneaking a peek. That doesn't count. Okay, that's, that's a pretty good summary there. Okay, can we think of anybody, not, not far from Santa Claus, not, but a little bit, you know. Okay. I actually think that what Daiichi said, the, the Santa Claus thing, uh-huh. that he's going to punish people who are bad and reward people who are good. 
and I we're think good. That would be the universal concept of God. Like I think that's like why did the wicked prosper? Yeah. Most people are troubled by that. Yeah. I think that but, it, say, but it would be he would punish those that we think are bad. Right. right exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, we created a God. Okay. Well, again, you know the. Here, since ancient times, people have defined God in terms of two powerful motives. The first is need. I need something. You know, in ancient Palestine, the Canaanite survival depended on what? Their crops and their flocks. And so their perceived need was for a God who would regularly bring rain. And so they worshipped the god Baal, who was the storm god, uh, Baal, and his female counterpart, Ashtoreth, which she was the goddess of fertility. They were the ones that met the needs there was only one problem with this God. He didn't perform like they needed. Reality started to brush up against their utopian vision of who God was. And as a result, there was fear. Needs and fear. Well, God is not performing according to the way that we're, uh, we need, so something must be wrong. God must be mad at me. So therefore, we have to placate God, don't we? Anyone remember this movie, Joe vs. the Volcano? Tom Hanks? You know, he volunteers to be a human sacrifice to appease the volcano god who's feared by the natives. You know, the reality is human cultures are filled with the tragedy of human sacrifices offered out of fear of the imagined gods. Okay, what's the problem? You know, that was a neat exercise. What's the problem with this? The problem with this approach is that human definitions of God limit God... Because they imagine that God is like us. Human definitions create God in our own image to speak. You think of the ancient Greeks, by the way. You know, they created these pantheon of gods that sort of ruled over Mount Olympus and Zeus and all of these gods who were responsible for dealing with the world. But what was the problem with these gods? They were jealous they were backbiting. They were capricious. They would take. They would fight with one another. They were, they were horrible. They were unpredictable. You never knew what was going to happen with these gods. But we have all of our own images of gods. You know, as I thought of this other picture, I thought a little bit kind of like of a, of a granddad. You know, he just, he just loving, give, there for you, etc., etc., all in those things. Or he's an angry judge. He's... He's an absent father. He's, he's a prying school mom. We all have our images that we have in our own heads of the God that we have created. The problem is they limit God because they make God in our image. But what does God say about himself in the scriptures? Exodus 9.14 Know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Isaiah 46.5 To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Isaiah 55, excuse me, Isaiah 46, 9. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. And 2 Samuel 7. How great are you, O sovereign Lord! There is none like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. The thrust of these scriptures is that God is different from us. He's vastly different. It's said that the difference between God and us is so huge 
that there's only one word that can be used to describe it. And that word is other. God is profoundly other than us. We barely have sufficient categories even to describe Him. So if God is not like us, and we can't comprehend Him on our own, how will we ever know what He's like? What do you think? How would we ever know what God was like if He's different than us? Okay. How, who would start that relationship? It'd have to come from up down, wouldn't it? Because our down up would be totally incongruous. We, we wouldn't even have the language to speak to talk to God. So it's a sign of God's love and His mercy that He chooses to reveal Himself to us, to show us who it is. It's not something that we deserve. It's something that God gives. So in the coming weeks, we're going to discuss how God has revealed Himself to us in the Word, meaning the Bible, and in His Son, Jesus. But for now, I want to take a little time to talk about what God has revealed about Himself. What is God like? This is section 5 here. What is God like? The authors of the Westminster Shorter Catechism summarize what God is like with these words. God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, where did they get these ideas? Were they kind of like us, sort of drawing up on the board, kind of a God, this is what we want God to be? No, they were simply summarizing what God says about Himself in the Bible. So, there's a wealth of truth in these words, but for a little while, let's just take a simpler approach. Uh, Many of us learned a, a simple prayer when we were children. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. I, I never quite got the good in the food, but uh, let us thank Him for our food. So let's use these two words. God is great and God is good. Okay, when I've used this word big, we're, we're thinking words like infinite. What do you think it means infinite? Oh, it kind of says here. I can't ask you that question. You'll say, oh, space. Okay, he's everywhere. He's big. He's big in that there's no place where you can go where you cannot find God. And yet we see that God is bigger than the universe. God is not the universe. That's pantheism. God is above the universe. And God is in the universe, but the universe does not equal God. Because we know that before the heavens and the earth were created, there was God. God is infinite. Additionally, God is unchanging. Remember the scripture in Hebrews? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord. I do not change. If we were to go backwards in time 5,000 years, God is the exact same as He was before. If we were to go forward 100,000 years in time, God is the exact same. He never changes. His characteristics are always the same. He's not learning like you and me. He is who He is. Remember, Moses comes in the uh, burning bush. He comes to ask God, well, you know, you know you're, you're sending me. When the, when the elders ask me, who has sent me, what should I say? Does anyone remember what he said? I am who I am. Yahweh. I never change. I am unchanging. He is 
the cornerstone. He is everywhere, omnipresent. He knows everything. He is omniscient. You're going to have a thought right now. God already knows it. God knows everything that we're thinking. He knows everything that we're doing even before we've done it. He has all power. He created everything. He governs and rules everything. All things, uh, Colossians, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. So He is outside of all space and time and yet He is inside the atom at the same time making all the electrons spin and all the, wor- all the world um, working. And yet he is, cle- he is near to us who call on Him. To all who call on Him in faith. He is as near to us, more intimate with us as uh, He's actually in us. Okay, the second word, He is above all. In terms of His authority and prominence, He is God. We are not. He is unique in the universe. No one is like Him. He outranks us as Creator to creation, as king to his subjects, as lord to his servants. He is the one in charge. And finally, he is awesome. He is worthy of the awe that bows our heads and leaves us speechless. Anyone ever been in, you know, you go into the woods or somewhere and you kind of come over a clearing and you see a waterfall. Or you wake up and you're camping and there's no lights and you pop your head out and there's, you're in the middle of nowhere and you look up and you see all of the stars and you're just blown away by the awesomeness of creation. God is infinitely more awesome than His creation. I love, uh, you know, I was talking about uh, Kepler and this, this uh, uh, telescope that NASA sent out into space that's continuously recorded, discovered this new universe that for all of human, uh, excuse me, new solar system, all of human creation we've never seen before. We're just discovering it. And yet these planets have been going around and around in perfect orbit. Who created them and who keeps them going? It's the awesome God. There is none like God. He is awesome. Okay, the next word, God is good. These are his characteristics. God is great. God is good. He's just. He's just in all that he does. He does no wrong. He makes no injustice. He rewards good and punishes evil. No one can ever rightly accuse God of wrongdoing because he is just. He's perfect. He makes no mistakes not growing and learning, because he always has perfect knowledge, perfect power, and perfect love. Finally, God is kind. The scriptures in 1 John says that God is love. How do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. God is love. It is a characteristic of who he is. God cares for the weak. If you read the scriptures, we see God's compassion for the oppressed, for the weak, his admonition for us. Uh, to us to care for the sick, the oppressed, the orphan, the lonely, the rejected, the humble, the meek. He sheds His mercy on them and He invites them to call Him Father. God is kind. Let me stop there for a second and get reflection before we go on. The, as I speak about these things, about God's character, what does it evoke in you? What does it make you think about God? Or maybe you're speechless. Yes, Jim. The bigger that I see him to be, the smaller 
Yeah, that's great. There's a book out called Your God is Too Small. For many of us, our God fits in this box right here. We're able to contain Him. We're able to take Him. We can take Him wherever we need, when we need Him. He's simple, open up, and we take Him out. But we see in looking at the Scriptures here, no, God cannot be contained. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? It's He who holds us in the palm of His hand, not vice versa. Other implications as you hear about the characteristics of what God is like. Implications for your life. Does God, because of His characteristics, is He faithful to us even when we're faithless to Him? Yeah. Absolutely. Is God loving and caring to us even when we are not loving and caring to Him? Absolutely. Why? Because God doesn't change. And all that I was talking about, about we lost it all, God gave it all, we get it all. Thank goodness that my relationship with God is not dependent on me. Now, are there things that I can do that can hinder that relationship? Sure. But the nature and character of that relationship comes from God, not from me. Any other thoughts? as you hear about these characteristics of God. Yes? Um, it makes me want to be a better person. Mm. Seeing how great He is and that He made us. He made us in His image. And I, I think that He deserves um, for us to be better people mm. and, to, and to strive to be better. Yeah, that's great. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, let's go on here and let's round the horn because we just have about four minutes the next uh, point, God is great, God is good, God is triune. God is triune. He is at the, one of the cores of our understanding about God is He is a triune God. One God eternally existing in three persons. The authors of the, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism said that there is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, the same in substance and equal in power, and glory. So let's talk about that. There's one God. The Father is God. John 6, 27. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Now it's very important that He is tri-personal. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. And so we see that there is relationship within God Himself. What are some of the ramifications of this? If God is tripersonal and we are made in the image of God, what does that tell us about ourselves? That we are certainly meant to live in community. Now, we are not tripersonal. There's not Carlos, me, myself, and I in that sense. There are tripersonal elements of my personality, but I am one personality. God is three personalities in one. And yet he is the same in substance and equal in power and glory. God himself is a community. Why do we long for community so much? Because God is a community. Why do we see, uh, in God we see the perfect picture of love and care and deference and humility 
and glorification. All that mankind corporately was meant to be, we see in the person of the Trinity. You probably heard, I think it was Jonathan Edwards said that in the Trinity, the Father lives for the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Son lives for the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives for the Father and the Son. And out of that came creation, Mm -hmm. creation of man, and on and on. So that's what he invites us back to. Yes. Relationship within that harmony and that that beauty of of the Trinity. That's right. Which is kind of hard for us to fathom. That's true. The scriptures say that we are his children through Christ Jesus. Yet to all who believed him, to those who received in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we are brought as adopted sons into the family of God through Christ Jesus. Now, additionally, I think we're going to spend more time talking about the Trinity. There are different roles within the Trinity. The Father as creator, the, the Son as mediator, who mediates God, stands in between God with his creation, and the Holy Spirit as a plier. And each one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, working in this task, the Father sends the Son. The Son comes. The Son and the Father send the Spirit to reach us, to bring us into the family of God. Very powerful. Um, Let's see. Okay, let's continue here. So, can we fully understand the Trinity? No, we can't. It is beyond us. But he has revealed things to us in the scriptures that we may understand some of the base of the character of God. Um, Let's look at our responding. This is E, responding to God. His power and authority inspires reverence. We uh, talked about this. Vicki gave a good picture of that. His goodness toward us inspires our love. If your goal is to know God and to be aware of His presence and work in your life, then you must recognize and respond to both His greatness his power and authority over you, and his goodness. One without the other is a distortion of who God is. We must respond to his greatness with reverence and awe while his goodness causes us to love him. Think to yourself, what aspect of God's nature are we most prone to forget? Is it God's greatness, his authority, or is it God's goodness? Maybe it's both. But we have to have a balanced view of who God is. Uh, The truth that God is both great and good is wonderfully illustrated in C.S. Lewis's children's story, The Lion, the the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's the godlike character, and I'll close with this, of Aslan, if you remember he's a lion. And uh, when learning about Aslan for the first time, someone nervously asked, is he quite safe? The astonished answer was, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's the king, I tell you. But he's good. God is safe in that he is good. But he cannot be controlled. He cannot be compartmentalized. He is God. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at different characteristics of God. If you look at your table of contents, we just talked about the existence of God. Next week, we're going to talk about the Word of God. What is the Bible? And how do we use the Bible? What does the Bible mean to me? Week three, we're going to talk about the Son of God. Week four, we're going to be talking about the mission of the Son of God. Week five, we're going to be talking about the human condition and the justice of God. Week six, Jesus and the mercy of God. And then seven, the good news of God. So real, by the end of this, nice big foundation stones built into our life. A couple of options for you. If you wrote your name on the foundations of the faith, you can leave it here and we'll put it in the box and we'll keep it. There is a little Bible study built into this if you want to spend a little bit of time 
dealing with it. Um, let me get to it. I think it's... Um, oh gosh, I maybe didn't print it. Page 7. Oh, there we go. Reading John 1 through 5 and answering these questions. So you may want to take this home, uh, but if you do, bring it back because these are expensive to Xerox. Kinko's, Kinko's had their way with, uh, with us uh, beating us up on this. So, But... Um, that's a neat little Bible study as well. Any final comments, questions, acrobatic maneuvers before I close this in prayer? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth. The truth is you are God from everlasting to everlasting. There is none like you. You are altogether other. And yet you condescend to uh, reveal yourself to us because you are just and loving in all you do. Lord, and you uh, condescend to call us your children through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to uh, think your thoughts after you. Help us to see you as you truly are. We can only do this through your word and your spirit, which you've given us. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. If you want to leave your books, you can just leave them right here. Uh, I think we're going to start... Thank you.